starting to already see what we think is, a, is what a game should be just completely change. Games is to the phone right now what sports was to TV. The average age of someone who plays games globally is in their mid-30s. It is not a teenage spotty boy in the basement. It's so fantastic to, to also see people, they go into different kind of characters, mm. so you can role-play into different kind of characters that you couldn't do in real life. And it's such a powerful medium. I guess a video game expert loosely is what people call me. I'm a journalist. I've been writing about games for about seven years. I'm also on television, um, so I'm the resident video games expert on The Gadget Show on Channel 5, which I've been doing for a couple of years now. Talk about games basically professionally, which is my ideal job, and child me would not believe it if I told her. <laughs> I was really happy to see this panel happening at the Swedish Ambassador's Residence today because I always love it when institutions like this are seen to be taking video games seriously. And I was also really impressed with the calibre of guests. Um, so we were talking to Tobjorn about this panel um, the last time we were here at the Ambassador's Residence and I didn't realise that he would go for the, the real big hitters. You know, he had um, like someone from King, which is huge, obviously huge Swedish company, Joe Twist from Yuki and Siobhan Gibson from Media which I was really happy about because I love their games um, and the panel was excellent as well. Everyone had really interesting things to say and the audience was super engaged, which was really nice to see. The thing that always excites me most about the industry is when games are getting out to more and more people and not just the audiences that people traditionally think of as video game players. So I really like what Media Molecule is doing with Dreams, for instance, in making these tools that just anyone can use to create games. I think that's going to open up games to a whole new audience. I love what Nintendo is doing with Nintendo Labo with the cardboard construction kits because, I mean, everyone understands cardboard, right? It's opening up games, again, to new audiences. I've played with Nintendo Labo with a woman who's approaching her 90s and she really got what was happening in a way that she wouldn't perhaps if you tried to give her a DualShock controller with you know 12 buttons on it and tell her to play a game um, so anything that is exploring what else games can be and opening up games to more people is what I'm excited about Honestly, I cannot remember the first game that got me into video games because I have been playing them for literally my entire life. My earliest, earliest memories are playing video games. I had young parents, so there were always games consoles around the house. You know, I was playing on DOS games when I was a toddler, you know, learning to read through playing video games and things. Um, but the game that got me where I am now, I think, um, there are two. So there was a while where I wasn't really playing console games during the PS2, GameCube, Xbox generation. I took a break from consoles because I was playing The Sims and Neopets all the time. It was all I wanted to do when I was sat at home, you know, in front of my computer. It was all I wanted to play. And, but then I worked at GameStation and some friends convinced me to get an Xbox 360 and I got a copy of Fallout 3. And the first time I played it, I didn't really understand what was happening and I kind of bounced right off it. But then I gave it another go and as I began to give it more time and realized what this game could do, it just opened my eyes to what video games could be because I'd gone from, you know, Spyro the Dragon on the original PlayStation, like typical kind of cartoony adventure game, to this huge open world role-playing game where your choices matter and there's storytelling and characters you can get to know and everyone who plays it has a different experience and they talk to each other about it and it just blew my mind um, and I've never stopped playing games since.
Well, here we are about to start our first uh, TechBridge Sweden UK in the year 2019, and appropriately, it uh, is involving the, the gaming industry, the video and computer game industry specifically, uh, something which is dear to the hearts of uh, players in both countries and a major part of the economy, the entertainment economy in, in each country. It's an aspirational profession for young people to study for and develop uh, experience in, and it provides entertainment and business for many others uh, in both countries. So this is a celebration of that. And we're going to be talking about how new trends and technologies could disrupt what we now see as the industry and no doubt provide many new opportunities. My name is Chris Deering. I started in the industry back in the early 80s at Atari in Silicon Valley and then was at, uh, in the movie business for a while and Sony took over Columbia Pictures and I then came to London to start uh, the game business for Sony in PlayStation, April 1995. I was here for 10 years doing that and the, the business grew from zero to about 4 billion euros. The industry has gone way beyond where Sony PlayStation 2 was and has now expanded into uh, browser games and mobile games. In fact, mobile games are now uh, bigger than the combination of, of console games and PC games. So uh, mentioning mobile games is really relevant to this discussion today because some of the biggest and greatest games on mobile have come out of Sweden in particular. So with us today, we have, from Sweden, we have Humam Sakini, and he is representing King.com, which everyone probably remembers for Bubble Witch Saga and especially Candy Crush Saga, and many other games as well. We have Oscar Berman, the founder of Fast Travel Games, has a VR game out right now, Apex Construct. We have from the UK, Siobhan Reddy, founder at Media Molecule, Little Big Planet, and Joe Twist, who's the head of UK Interactive Entertainment Association, and also has some other projects he's going to be discussing in the course of this panel. I've noticed uh, many changes in my history with the game industry. The cost of a game production has gone, you know, from 100,000 U.S. dollars to as much as 80 or 100 million U.S. dollars. But the entertainment value, the engagement of the end user, and the breadth of experiences that can be enjoyed has multiplied even further. And with the arrival of cloud gaming for, let's say, subscription services and browser-based games and mobile phone games, access has been increased dramatically so that there's almost a limitless number of choices for people to make. In fact, the biggest issue today now in the gaming industry and entertainment in general is that there's so much content that we have access to that time is a scarce commodity. And that presents some kinds of challenges that never existed before when you could walk into a store and basically within the course of a few meters of shelf space uh, survey the whole gambit of what was available. Getting discovered is one of the most difficult problems because there's 
upwards of 50 or more games per day coming out on mobile phones, for example. So the, this introduces a number of marketing challenges, not to mention the fact that the price that people pay to play games is now evaporating, and it's becoming almost all what they call free-to-play, which is you get the download for nothing, and then you start to enjoy it, and as you do, you're hopefully attracted into buying some special equipment or um, accessories that make you stand out or you can brag about. And those are bought by about 10% of the players, which are known to the industry as whales. And the other 90% pretty much don't pay anything and have a benefit of uh, all of this wonderful technology and hard work of so many development engineers. But it all works. And there will be evolutions from that and beyond. Uh, Once you get discovered, you have to keep the customer engaged or they'll churn out. And that's somebody else's opportunity, but it's not good for the company that made the game. So the, uh, the challenges for the industry, for the production cost recoupment, for the marketing Uh, And for the retention of users once they get involved with the game, these are the big challenges of today. And tomorrow will present even greater ones because as more and more non-interactive product becomes available, huge TV series, etc., binge-watching on your phone, the competition between the linear content producers and the interactive content producers becomes inevitable. It's all good, but... uh, It's making life fascinating and, in some cases, terrifying. Today, within the game sector, we will be making some predictions about how the experience will broaden. Uh, The audiences are now broad, but the arrival of uh, features like 3D, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, and now even uh, something called Magic Leap, which is on the horizon, these are going to make the opportunity for games to be more immersive and compelling and broadly appealing to expand yet again. Now we also have benefit of voice recognition and smart speakers. There's the issue of voice recognition, voice synthesis, virtual reality, augmented reality, and we'll be discussing what that means and uh, what the views of the panelists are towards the relative role of these new features and how they might change the industry in general. We're currently having this conversation before the beginning of the actual event in the library of the ambassador's resident, and uh, we're very grateful that he has had the foresight and that Sweden has had the foresight to hold these, these tech bridges, UK and Sweden, over the years. Uh, We think this is a particularly relevant one, and I think it's going to be an enjoyable conference for all. I'm going to ask each of the panelists to uh, introduce themselves and talk a bit about their company and their job and what they see are the major trends or specific trend and uh, as well as the game that most attracted them in their early early days and the game that they find most attractive. inspirational. Hi there, my, so my name is Dr Joe Twist and I am the Chief Exec of UK Interactive Entertainment, uh, which is the UK's trade body representing games. Uh, I'm also BAFTA Games Chair. 
I'm so fascinated to see the impact of you know, this tension between actual consoles, devices, hardware, and what streaming will do to transform that, uh, if anything. Um, I'm always really fascinated by the evolution of storytelling in our genres and in our, our, our games and how that can increase inclusion, participation, particularly people with disabilities. Um, the game that first got me interested in games is Pong because I was prescribed it by my optician when I was little, when I was five, and I was told to play it, covering up my good eye and using my bad eye because I had a terrible squint. The game that's inspired me actually quite recently is in fact Dreams. <laughs> and I have to say that because it is just a marvel. I don't even know how to describe it. And we just uh, love this whole world of creativity that it's opening up. My name is Humam Saknini. I'm the president of King Digital. We've been uh, experiencing uh, mobile growth for so long in this industry. And what I think is going to affect gaming at large is the continuation of uh, this incredible thing, what's called mobile devices. I think at $80 billion and 3 billion users, 40% of the population of planet Earth playing a mobile game, uh, I would say that we're in the... beginning chapters of what mobile means for our consumers. The relationship with people on their phones and the content of their phones is yet to unfold to its fullest. And I think gaming is at the very center of building those relationships. What excites me the most about that is that I think gaming is to phones what sports was to TV, in a sense that it is a cultural, global phenomenon when everybody can connect. And uh, I see real disruption and real excitement when the games become quite social because it breaks down a lot of the borders and barriers across all these countries just the way sports did many many years ago and uh, you know my own journey into the industry um, has started with kind of me being a kid playing uh, tanks on uh, the Atari 2600 and Pitfall and it's amazing that I now work for the company that uh, was that back in the day with Activision. I will say and I hope it doesn't sound too um, too corny but the game that inspires me the most right now is the game that my eight-year-old daughter programmed last week <laughs> and uh, I think I look at that I think that's where the future is. And I'm, my name is Oskar Berman. Uh, I am the CEO and co-founder of Fast Travel Games, a VR game developer based in Stockholm, Sweden. We are a VR game developer and we, we started out because I truly believe VR is going to be a significant force in gaming uh, in the future. Basically just being able to step into those worlds that you know we used to create and, and see them on the screen and now you can you know surround yourself with those worlds is just amazing uh, and I think we're, we're just in the first baby steps of discovering those worlds and discovering how to interact with you know the games in those worlds um, so so I'm super excited about that and and in fact you know VR is is uh, the part of the gaming sphere that's that's growing really really fast right now it's fantastic to to be here now and see what's what's happening there looking back at, at my many years in games uh, when I started out in the in the mid 90s I was super inspired by a game called Super Sprint which was like a, a racing game uh, back on the Atari uh, and it it made me create one of my first commercial games called Ignition which was kind of a homage to that game but it, it basically threw me into this crazy industry uh, and and I've never regretted once mm-hmm. it's been such an amazing journey in more recent years, I, I'm, you know, super inspired by, uh, you know, games like Shadow of the Colossus and, you know, adventure games of that kind. 
So that's that's an inspiration for 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 us as fast travel games to to you know be able to create games like that. That's that's something we set up to do. Hello, my name is Siobhan Reddy and I am the studio director at Media Molecule. For me, the thing that really excites me is um, that one of the biggest changes that I've seen in the industry is that there are so many ways for people to make games these days. And obviously I come at that as like Media Molecule where a studio that makes tools for people, but we're just one of many. And it's wonderful to sort of see all these different voices come into our industry because that's what changes what gets made. And it also forces like hardware changes and it forces peripheral changes and it forces... So the thing that I find really exciting is that um, games is very much cemented as part of popular culture. They're not going anywhere. And it's through bringing new voices to games making and then what the industry, that will sort of really influence what the industry looks like. And I think that's been very, very exciting. The game that sort of I always think of when I'm like, what was the game that got me inspired to stay in the industry or get into the industry? The Resident Evil series, Mm. big horror fan. And I really felt things when I played that. It's really hard to choose a game that inspires me because actually probably in a corny way also, like when I look at our community within dreams and I see people who are making their very first game and are taking those leaps and that that I find incredibly inspiring. I'm inspired by your eight-year-old because I think that it's like, you know, I'm inspired by what is to come next. I've, I've been so inspired all throughout by Shadow of the Colossus, by the ICO team, by God of War, by Horizon, by so many things. But for me, it's all of those people who are sort of coming up through the ranks now who never had a chance to make something, who are now making things that are really going to change our world. I thought what we might ask the panelists, and you can speak either, you know, collectively or individually or whatever, but uh, you don't, not everyone has to answer, but as far as uh, the social aspects of, of gaming, uh, does anyone have some views as to where those are going and what the, how much further <coughs> they might go? Oh. Everybody mm-hmm. has views. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, start. I mean, um, we've, we've, lit- we've just started to uh, uh, put our new project out, Dreams, and it's a um, creative platform. So the, where we're really seeing a very interesting sort of trend within the social side is people being able to collaborate with each other um, from across the world of just like in actually making games. Like obviously like games are incredibly social. We're seeing it with like Fortnite, we're seeing it everywhere. But um, yeah, for us, one of the things that I'm really interested in is how do you actually bring these very different new voices together and what do they make when they do get together? And I think we just we're just starting to already see what we think is an is what a game should be just completely change, mm. and it's really fascinating. And so mm. that to so decide when you bring people together, what you get is that kind of natural, you know, natural sort of riffing on. It's like being a child, and suddenly you're a teddy bear, and then you're a squirrel, and you know, and that's what you have in a game. <laughs> so if I I could just add to that, I mean, I think there. <coughs> My view is the reason the gaming industry got so big uh, is because of a few factors, social being an incredible part of that, and I think we're in the very beginnings of that chapter. And so the reason gaming got big is because it's ubiquitous with phones now. So when kind of it was constrained to your PCs and your consoles, you had to buy something expensive. Now everybody has a phone. So seven billion people on the planet, three billion people play games. Uh, if you ask the vast majority of people, they don't self-identify as gamers. Mm. And if you look at their activity, they're not necessarily only playing games. There's a lot of kids. I have, I have uh, twin girls, and uh, uh, they're quite young, eight years old. 
and they're, when they're gaming, they're watching other people play games. So they're not always just kind of doing something on an input. And the amazing part about that is that every interaction now is social. So when we think about building games, we truly we talk about is it truly social? And truly social could mean a lot of people. But for, what, for me, what it means is games is to the phone right now, which is the biggest you know, medium and biggest platform, is what you know, I say is sports was to TV, which is it unified people universally. So I think the power of games, the power of interacting with people in a medium that everybody appreciates is truly unifying globally. It can break down cultural barriers, barriers, uh, you know, social barriers, or what have you. And it's whether you're interacting in a very competitive game or co cooperative game, whether you try to share your high score, there's a lot of different ways that people do it. And you can think about social interaction in a very specific way, because when 3 billion people are doing something, they're doing it in very, very different ways. <laughs> but what's important is that they're connected. And once they're connected, the power of creation happens. You know, people come in and actually add to that. They're adding more content. So we, we're not the only content makers, but we provide the platform where whether you're playing Candy Crush, it's, a, it's not just a solitary experience. It's an incredibly unifying experience. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. People who still assume that uh, games are a solitary experience. They think of a gamer, which is why I don't identify with that label. I think it's a terrible word, and I know some people love it, but for me it doesn't describe who I am. A typical person who plays games in the UK is a 43-year-old woman who enjoys other cultural activities. Um, the average age of someone who plays games globally is in their mid-30s. It is not a teenage spotty boy in the basement. Um, and games are a fantastic connector, but they are, it is this boundary crossing that I love. Games can give you a reason to talk to your teenage uh, daughter or son in ways while you're playing together that helps them talk about things that they probably wouldn't talk to you about mm -hmm. face to face. Um, they can transcend these, these barriers from 20 years ago, you know, the early days of World of Warcraft. It was about people in guilds together who just wanted to hang out. And you've got, you know, people who are, might be 65, you've got people who are 12, who are <coughs> leading a, 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 are a guild leader. You know, and that by connecting and by communicating across all these boundaries and being able to role play and practice life and practice being social in a safe space, being able to stand back and see some decisions you made, see the consequences, gain that critical thinking skill set. These are skill sets that I as an employer need from 21st century citizens. Mm -hmm. I need people who can teamwork. I need people who can collaborate, who can communicate, who can problem solve together, who are creative, who like finding solutions. And you know, th those are the people who play games. Yeah, just connected to that from a VR angle. I mean, one of the biggest misconceptions with VR is that it's you know, something you just do for yourself in your headset and you're completely isolated from the world. But one of the biggest uh, VR apps or game is, uh, is a chat app where you actually meet up with people and you talk to them mm -hmm. and you have, you, you role play or you go into quests together. And I mean, it's so fantastic to, to also see people, like you said, they, they go into different kind of characters. Mm -hmm. So you can try to be, you know, someone who's this tall and, and you know, <laughs> what is it to, to meet someone that's that tall? Or you can role play into different kind of characters that you couldn't do in real life. Mm -hmm. And it's such a powerful medium. 
I'm really fascinated and I love the, the liberation that games give, particularly people with disability. Mm. You know, people who, yeah. who you know, we, we, we work in the games industry with a charity called Special <coughs> Effects and they adapt controllers and technology, <coughs> hardware and games so that people with severe disabilities can just play FIFA together again, using their eyes, or can play Minecraft using their eyebrow, because that's all they can move. Mm. And I think the potential of VR to, to enable far more participation and experience of different kinds of things, <coughs> and people who, who, uh, who are neurodiverse, who you know, find it a struggle sometimes to break out of a, a rigid timetable, you know, being transformed by Pokemon, Mm. Which, for the yeah. first time, you know, sure. so I think that kind of potential, particularly for VR, is really, really interesting. One of the sort of side points on the social aspect is I think that as an industry, it's also a very um, uh, um, generous industry with how we, with all of the sort of the teaching and conferences and various different things that go on within the games industry, because we've had to sort of all learn from each other over the last yeah. sort of however many years. Um, you know, and in Sweden there is the Nordic Game Con Conference, which is in Malmo, and it's absolutely amazing. And it's this real. What I really love is like, get making the the, the act of making games and the act of playing games. We're all just these people who sort of come together and we play them and we make them, and we might like one of those more than the other, or we might like doing both of them. But it's really amazing when you go to things like GDC, where there's like 28,000 games developers get together which is like a completely nuts number, but people go there primarily to like give each other a leg up. Like it's a real leg up industry. Yeah. And that really then follows into the games that we make and that we want people to have that same experience. And, and I think that there's just something really interesting about that, like we love what we do, we want to share it, and we want to share the, ex the whole experience with people. That's well, Sean, um, you've been involved in games with the user-generated content for a decade now, maybe more, mm -hmm. um, and the capability to uh, express oneself has broadened widely. Uh, the games have been sort of creative uh, expressions, but as people move towards uh, collaboration, towards a common goal, do you think, or does anyone on the panel uh, have a feeling that it might be possible to go beyond Twitter into uh, a situation where people could combine their thinking, help each other, or contribute to the solution of problems like global warming, totally. uh, yeah. and, and, and a gamify causes that are you know, worthwhile rather than causes that are selfish. I think one of the things that I absolutely think is so undersold about learning how to make games is how cross-disciplinary it is. Mm -hmm. mm. The fact that we learn like system design, composition, how to keep people in a moment, emotions, feelings, like all of these things. You can apply all of this thinking to absolutely all of those problems. And I think it's one of those things like, if I think of like, why should people learn, pick it up as a hobby? Why should your eight, you know, when you're talking about your eight-year-old girls learning how to make games, it's like when they learn how to make them, they're not just learning how to entertain. What they're learning is a broad spectrum of skills that they can then apply to any industry, to any problem. And that, that is like what truly excites me about it is that you can make something that takes somebody on a journey. You might want to be teaching someone about dementia. You might want to be teaching somebody about the impacts of global warming. And in VR, like actually being in a place, a place which has been ravaged by global warming, how more can you mm -hmm. experience yeah. that? So it's just <laughs> like, when it's like I just get very excited. I, about I do as well, and it's, like, it's, it's really compelling. And I feel, you know, I used to work at BBC and Channel 4, and I was, I, 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 would, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't get out of this industry because I love that aspect of it so much. 
And what really, uh, really heartens me is seeing the maturity of the industry. We are growing up with it. You know, it is only 40-something years old. And uh, the people who created it are still alive. And it's, that's amazing. Um, but you, you, you look at the next generation, and BAFTA Young Game Designer Awards, for instance, has been running for seven or eight years now, and I've been involved since the beginning. And you've got 10 to 14s and 15 to 18-year-olds who are using games, uh, whether that be in concept stage or making them, to express themselves. Um, the winner last year of the 15 to 18 or 10 to 14 uh, ca uh, category uh, made a game about depression and her depression. Some of the ideas that came through last year were about climate change. You know, you can do anything in a game. You know, you can create some weird contraption that helps you right. solve a problem. So that's what's so exciting is because they are choosing games to tell stories, to find out about themselves in the world, to problem solve or to express something that they want someone else uh, to listen to or to experience. Well, we've, uh, mo most of the audience, I assume, are uh, from the UK because it's uh, closer to reach than <laughs> the Stockholm. So I'd like to ask um, Humam and Oscar if uh, they recognize anything in the culture or the educational uh, infrastructure or the uh, social values or just general entertainment trends in Sweden that uh, are as not as developed or, or, or uh, evangelized around the world as they might, as everything shrinks in terms of uh, number of people connected and the speed of their connections and the breadth of, and uh, beauty of what can be drawn on them. Is there anything that the combination of UK and Sweden can work on to take advantage of the, what's the same about the cultures and also what's different? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's amazing when you think about where some of the most popular, you know, anything of any industry springs up. And for games, it's, it's been Sweden for actually uh, a bit. And I've always wondered, uh, before my time at King, kind of like, why are there all these amazing studios in Stockholm? Like, you know, it just seems odd. And um, I think kind of like, it, if there's a lot of people who've studied it, I think it comes down to in Sweden, there's been uh, a lot of factors that contributed to it, very engineering-centric uh, schools, very strong design culture, uh, very strong, um, you know, uh, wireless industry that actually helped, you know, get a lot of people from the days of Ericsson back into the industry and combine kind of that way to kind of squeeze more computational power from a device with, you know, working with a lot of people who came out of art schools and design uh, in Stockholm specifically, but across the board. And the reality is that when success happens in any country, it actually spawns kind of this amazing momentum that happens. So one developer come, becomes uh, incredible. Like you heard the story, you work at Dice. The next thing you do is you start your own studio and so on and so forth. And I think kind of there's that uh, incredible power that's happened in Sweden and Stockholm. A similar story happened actually in the UK. And uh, it's kind of fun to be part of a company that's the poster child of that collaboration between the UK and Sweden. Um, <clears throat> If, if I may, I'm going to tell a very funny story that happened to me in Stockholm yesterday. Uh, because I, I think of our company as a very Swedish company. We talk about our Swedish culture quite a bit. And, uh, and uh, I was coming into Stockholm. And uh, um, you know, I, I travel in an American passport. And, and uh, the, the customs agent asked me why I have so many Swedish stamps in my passport. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I, I work for a Swedish company. And he said, which one? And I said, King. And he goes, ah, 
It was bought by Americans. <laughs> I said it's still Swedish, it's okay. Uh, but I think kind of when I see kind of the people we recruit, um, I kind of like that's what's gonna be the future of the industry. It's, and you see the folks coming in uh, from kind of the pipeline of the, you know, uh, the schools in, in Sweden, I, I get very excited about that we're just at the very beginning stages of what we're gonna see in terms of talent. Uh, we're a talent-driven company, talent-driven industry, and the same in the UK where we basically, they've been the, the hubs of a lot of, especially mobile gaming. And I'll say one last pitch, one of the biggest social corporate responsibilities for King is actually to go very deep into the school system. We send our developers, mostly targeting getting girls interested in coding, which I'm very passionate about with, as, uh, with, with my girls. And we, we basically, you know, most people's experience in coding anything, very, very beginning, when you're six, seven, eight, you know, 10, is actually to code a game. Mm -hmm. And whether you become a gamer or not, this is what gets you in, is to basically figure out how to make something happen in, uh, in a very simple way. So it's very important to us that we continue to drive a lot of that ed education very deep into the culture, and that happens quite a bit in both in Sweden and in the UK. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I usually talk about three things when speaking about the success of the Swedish games industry. So the first one is, uh, I think, we had a really strong demo scene in the mm. Nordics and in Sweden. And it's, yep. a demo scene was actually basically people coming together trying to squeeze as much out of those early computers as possibly. And you could like, try to create graphical effects on the screen. And that's how me and a lot of my friends in the games industry got started and, and started building, building those demos and competing with each other and then forming game companies. I mean, DICE was founded that way. UDS and other early yep, Swedish studios was, was formed that yeah. way. Um, so that's, that's one of the success factors. Another one is that Sweden was really early in starting game development schools. So one of the first ones started in 2000, I think. Uh, basically had people properly learning how to create games. So it's, it's been running for a long time now, which kind of educated uh, most of the people in the Swedish games industry now. I mean, they obviously don't come from the demo scene anymore because that doesn't really exist anymore. So now the school system is really beefed up to support the Swedish games industry. And the third, I think, success factor is that might be controversial, but we have a very strong social, social, social security net in Sweden, mm -hmm. meaning that it's not that problematic to jump off a company and start a company because you know you can be cashed if something happens. And so a lot of people go out and start a company just to try, yeah. and if it fails, it fails, and you can probably get a job, or you get, you know, you get uh, some money from the state for a while until you get a job, and that's, that's been really helpful. And I mean, Notch formed uh, Minecraft when yeah, he was Kings. a king. You yeah. know, he, mm. didn't, he didn't know if that was going to take off. He just sat on his chamber and worked on that game, and was sure. successful. So I think those are a couple of factors that I think have been really helpful for, for us as a, as a country. That point about the social support is so important because it, when we are talking about the future and where it does go, we need people in society to be taking equal share of parental responsibilities, we need equal pay, we need all these support structures in yeah. place in order to increase diversity across the board of people building these amazing things. And that, that, that I think is something that I think the UK perhaps could learn from. 
So my name is Adam Langridge, and I'm a director of a small indie team. Uh, we are called Upstream Arcade, and we are a Godalming-based uh, independent developer. Uh, working on our second game, a supernatural uh, western, uh, where which has a touch of Dante's Inferno and a load of other cool stuff as well, but it's very heavily inspired by gothic comic in- imagery as well. When you're making games, I find it really easy to kind of ignore uh, just what's what's happening and, and sort of general trends. And it's really helpful to have people who are completely plugged in with different perspectives, just lifting my head up to look around every now, every now and again and this was one of those events where they reminded me that this is what's going on and, and keep an eye out for you know, these other things that are going to of course surprise me and approach me from the side so yeah there's just a lot to take in uh, and also quite a lot to sort of re-excite me about how crazy this industry is Alright, so the thing that I am most excited about in this industry isn't actually anything to do with technology. It is purely to do with a new generation of people who have grown up with games and understand them in a more natural way than I ever have and then showing me what games can really be. My first game was a game called Repton 3, which was I played on the Archimedes, but it was on the BBC back in the 80s. And the thing that I loved about that game was that you could make your own levels. And that gave me, that made me drunk with power, basically. And that got me into making games. Well, here we are in the library after the Tech Bridge uh, seminar. It seemed that it went pretty well. Let me ask Torbjorn what he thinks. No, I liked it, uh, as always. A lot of enthusiasm, a lot of ideas. Um, my takeaway was really one of your questions, uh, Chris, uh, to the panelists, what um, games can do um, to um, address some of the wider challenges in the world and whether we actually can, can use the gaming logic to, to encourage uh, idea generation and action on some of the things that we collectively need to, to address. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you uh, reacted well to that. It, it just popped into my head, which is one of the benefits of having these kind of things <laughs> where... You sort of forget about the day-to-day, you know, pressures and and uh, details, and say, well, what about the big story? And uh, it is true. I think that the uh, gaming capabilities, the connectivity, the speed, and the w- worldwide uh, penetration of devices which can engage in this uh, and not too expensively uh, certainly makes it worth trying and uh, learning from. So maybe we can make something happen over the next few months and uh, at least sleep on it and come up with some more ideas. My feeling is that um, games, I mean, there is an upside and a downside to, and and my kids spend uh, quite a lot of time with games. Uh, If I wouldn't prevent them, they spend enormous amounts of time with with games. And I think I realize there is an upside. I worry sometimes about the downsides, and the, the things I would like them to do instead of playing games. Um, uh, but a night like this is when you when you when you see the upsides clearly. I think that's a very uh, interesting observation. I, I I have some reservations about the uh, health of people that are not getting outside enough, and I think there are games like Pokemon Go and others that may be able to, to get people out and uh, into uh, more of a recreational and exercise mode as part of the challenge, as part of the way to earn points on a ladder board and be the best. Uh, But it's another area that I think we need to look at as an industry. 
Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Fantastic. Okay. Take care.